Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to Grace. For those who don't know me, my name is Derek, and um, we're in the middle of a series called The Parables of Jesus. And um, I, I have a question for all of you guys this morning. Um, does anybody besides me struggle a little bit at times with a little resentment, maybe a little bit of bitterness? Anybody? Anybody brave enough to, to say, yeah, every now and then? Okay, I got like one brave person. Okay, do I have any Washington Capitals fans in the house? Okay, because I know if you are a Caps fan, you are struggling with some bitterness and some resentment right now because those stinking Pittsburgh Penguins, okay? Easy, easy, okay? Pittsburgh people, easy. I'm gonna get to you in a minute, I promise. Because it seems like every time the Capitals face the Penguins in the playoffs, Almost every single time, doesn't matter how good or how favored the Caps are, those Penguins do it to us every single time. So I know some of you, you're, you're, you're a little bitter still. You're struggling with a little bit of resentment. Now, while we're on the subject of Pittsburgh, okay? So here's the deal. For those of you who don't know me that well, um, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, home of the... Cincinnati Bengals football team, which I am a diehard fan, and they are the proud owners of exactly zero Super Bowl trophies, okay? Zero. Now, that would be bad enough, but my wife is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, home of those Pittsburgh Steelers who have six Super Bowl trophies. Now, um, and, you know, if that's not bad enough... People from Pittsburgh, they have, they have all this paraphernalia around this whole six thing because they got more Super Bowls than any other team in the NFL. And, and so, you know, they, they get stuff like this. This is like one of these bumper uh, magnet things you put on your car. And, and this is actually on my wife's car. <laughs> right now. It's on there right now in the parking lot, okay? And here's the thing. We got six. How many yins got? I have so many problems with this. I, I could take the whole sermon. But... First of all, it doesn't even make sense when you read it. We six got how many yins got? Okay, so that's the first problem. <laughs> what in the world is a yins? All right, this, this, is, this is ridiculous. And, and so I have at times, I think you guys will understand, I have at times taken that just in disgust and thrown the magnet off the car and just tossed it away into random parking lots and such. But I have found in the best interest of trying to stay married that I, I, I collect myself and I say a prayer and I go and I, and I pick it back up and, and I put it back on the car. But it's, it's, it's very frustrating because here's the thing. The Pittsburgh Steelers, for those of you who have no understanding of sports or football whatsoever, okay, I, I pray for you, all right, pray for you. But, but if, you, if you don't follow it, you don't understand, here's, here's all you need to know. The Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals, um, they're in the same divisions. They play each other at least twice every season. And the Steelers are like the big bully on the playground that you just dreaded as a kid. And you know they're going to get you, and you know that they're going to take it out on you, and then they do just consistently, those Steelers beat up on my Bengals. And here's the thing. We've had like a couple of just glimmers of hope, a couple of seasons where the Bengals were clearly the better team. They were the favorite, better record, and in fact, during the regular season, they beat the Steelers, even beating them in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh's home stadium. And so it's playoff time, 2005, 2015. We have these two times, we're favored, this is our year, we're making a run, it's going to be awesome. And you know, here's the deal. Not only 
did we lose both of those games to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. But both of those seasons, the Steelers managed to knock the Bengals quarterbacks out of the game. Okay? Can we see that picture? Yeah. Okay? Listen, listen. Okay? The Steelers, they're like the devil's team. Okay? (laughs) So if you're here today, I just want to encourage you. Okay? Do not be a Steelers fan. Okay? Look look at this. This is is a dirty team. All right? You should not root for them. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you can, you can, can you feel the bitterness in me? Can, can you feel the resentment? I hope you can because it's definitely there. And it's not just me. Here's the thing. Not just me who's bitter. It's actually the entire city of Cincinnati. So um, a, few, a few weeks ago, the, the NFL draft took place where the NFL teams picked their, the, the college players that they want. And um, the Bengals were, were targeting this this offensive player, this wide receiver in the draft, they really wanted him. They had a need there. Well, it turns out that that guy got picked just before the Bengals picked. And so now they're, they're scrambling, they're regrouping. I have no idea who they're going to take. And uh, they, Pittsburgh was picking immediately after the, the Bengals, the next pick. And the, everyone was talking about how the, the, the Steelers were going after this really great defensive player that, that they wanted. And so you know what Cincinnati did? We went ahead and took that guy. Just go ahead. Just, we'll take that guy. And um, th- this was so hilarious because the next morning on the Bengals website, which I, yes, I'm a regular uh, fan of, okay, so I, I go to the Bengals website, and the, the lead article is just talking about how we stuck it to those stinking Steelers, and we, we took their guy, and oh man, this is so great, you know, just so much bitterness and hate and resentment going on toward those Steelers. But you know what was really funny? So I, I was talking to a couple of Pittsburgh fans, like, oh, yeah, you know, did you hear about the draft? What, what happened? Totally oblivious. Totally oblivious. So you got a whole city thinking, we stuck it to them. And then you've got the other city, could care less. Didn't, what didn't, wasn't even a big deal. And you know why? I'm going to give you a little truth, okay, football fans? Something I've just noticed and I've observed. Um, if you are following uh, the, the NFL draft, if you're a fan of a team and you're way into the NFL draft, that means you are a fan of a mediocre team or a bad team. That's, that's what that means. And I've, just, I've been doing this long enough where I realize it. Because literally on draft night, I'm sitting there, I'm tuning in, right? And all my friends, okay, I have friends, football teams all over the country. You know, the only ones who are like texting and ch- chattering and talking about this, all the small market, all the bad teams. I just want to let you know. Because you, you, you know why? Because for small market teams, for mediocre or bad teams... This is like our Super Bowl. We can't lose this game, right? We can't lose. It's amazing. Now, big market teams, really good teams. Teams like the New England Patriots and the Denver Broncos and the <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, all those teams and their fan bases, they could care less, really, about it. You know why? Because they know that these college players really aren't going to make an impact for like a season or two before they really come onto the stage. They're just ready for like the, the stage. You know, let's see the games. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about the playoffs. And so when this stuff is happening, and, and Pittsburgh should be all angry because, you know, of what Cincinnati did to them in the draft, and they don't care. That just makes me even more mad. Because here's the thing. I feel like, and maybe some of you small market team fans out there can, can relate, these good teams, their fans, they don't deserve that, right? 
They don't deserve that. They don't, they're not a fan like we are. They don't tune in like us. You should be staying up all hours watching this draft take place. You don't, you don't deserve these Super Bowl trophies. And so we're bitter. We're resentful. Now, that was kind of a lighthearted example, but I, I, I just I wonder if you can relate when we talk about resentment, when we talk about a little, a little bitterness. Maybe for you, um, actually some of this was stirred up just from last week's message. For those who were here, we're talking about all these amazing answers to prayer. And maybe for you, you're like, hey, but you know, my, my prayer, what about my prayer? It hasn't been answered. I mean, great for them, but if you're going to be honest, there's a little bit of bitterness. There's a little bit of resentment there. Or maybe um, you're the kind of person that just, you, you, you don't want to, but you just struggle with comparing yourself to other people. And you find that a little bit of jealousy and envy can creep in maybe over someone's job or someone being in a relationship or, you know, whatever it is. Or maybe um, you just think, you know, God, you could do a little bit better for me right now. I mean, you, you, you know, you see me, you see what I'm doing. You could, you could step it up a little bit, God. I mean, respectfully, I say that. What's interesting is that Jesus took all of the religious commandments of his day and he summed them up to two things. Two things. He said, love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. What's interesting to me about that, it seems so simple, doesn't it? Just, that's it. Just love God, love your neighbor. End of sermon. Let's pray, okay? Now, but why is something so simple so difficult at times? Well, if you're here and, um, and, and you can relate to that, I think you're going to find this parable that we're going to look at this morning very helpful. So um, Jesus told lots and lots of parables. They were stories to, to help make points and, and drive them deep and be memorable. And the parable that we're looking at this morning, uh, we find in, uh, in the New Testament, it's in one of the accounts of Jesus' life. There were four people who wrote down accounts. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today is Matthew's account we're looking at. Matthew was a tax collector. He was extorting his own people. And then his life was radically redirected by Jesus. And uh, so much so that he took the time to write an account of Jesus' life. And um, we find in the 20th chapter of Matthew's account this parable that we're going to dive into this morning. But before we get into chapter 20 you got to know a little context. you got to know a little background. And so we're going to talk about chapter 19 for just a second. Um, so the disciples, the 12 disciples, were talking with Jesus. And they started to get into a conversation. And this is just real and honest, okay? They were basically saying, okay, so what's in it for us, really? What's in it for us? Peter, uh, in verse 27 of chapter 19, Peter was like the spokesperson for the disciples. He was the leader. And so when he talks, often he's speaking for the group. And so he says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? I, I love that. It's so honest. <laughs> Are we going to get ours? We've sacrificed. We've worked so hard. We've been following you for a long time. It's been tough. Are we going to get ours? And uh, Jesus, very reassuring, says to his disciples, hey guys, don't worry. Whatever you've given up, whatever you have sacrificed is going to be returned to you a hundredfold. 
That must have been very, very nice for those disciples to hear. And then immediately he goes in and he tells a parable, a story. So we're all thinking, okay, and they're thinking, okay, cool. So he's going to reinforce this idea of we're going to get taken care of and we've worked harder, so we're going to get more. And so here he goes. Here's the parable. Jesus says, Matthew 20, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven, okay, that's like God's reign, God's rule, here on earth. So it's called the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Uh, It's like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. Denarius was a day's wages back then. And he sent them into his vineyard. Okay, so we got these early morning workers. They agreed to one day's wages. They're going out in the field very early, probably like six o'clock in the morning. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever's right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Now, he's telling this parable to his 12 disciples. They, who would they represent in the story? Would they be the, the, the hardworking early workers? Would they be the late ones to the party? Who would they be? Who would they be? Okay, early workers, okay? So they're thinking, okay, cool. We like this parable, okay? Everybody's about to get paid. We're the early workers. We've been working all day. So they're thinking, this is cool. We like where this is headed. Jesus continues. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. That would be about one full day's wage for one hour's work. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. What? When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Now, you got to feel bad for the disciples right here. Because they have got to be looking around at each other and wondering, Wait, what did he just say? Seriously? Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, but I I think this a lot. Man, how cool would it have been to live 2,000 years ago? I mean, I have so many doubts, and I just want to see, like, more proof, more evidence of all this stuff. I'm like, if I could have just been there, man, I'm sure I would have been one of those disciples. Man, it would have been so cool to see the miracles and to hear all the teachings firsthand and just to experience all of that. Like, how awesome would it have been to be one of the 12? But when you really sit back and think about it, and you read about those disciples and how they're interacting with Jesus, I'm not so sure that many of us would actually want 
to be in their shoes. Because Jesus is constantly challenging them. He's stretching them. He's testing them with different things to see how much faith they have. And then he's speaking in these parables, you guys, which we today have the benefit of all these commentaries and resources and scholars and seminaries that can break down these parables and give us all this this context. But they're getting hit with this in the moment, you guys. And I don't know about you, but I kind of wonder, like, is Jesus just messing with them right here? Like, is he just like, I'm going to just see what, the, I'm just going to really stick it to these guys. Because here's, here's the thing. I don't know if it's hitting you the way it's hitting me, but this is the question that pops into my mind. Why in the world would Jesus say this? Like, why would you say to your guys who have worked the hardest, who have sacrificed the most, who are the most committed to the cause, that you want to like pump up and get them excited and make them feel all just awesome, why would you take those guys, the most hardworking, the most committed guys, and, and basically say, guess what? Here's something cool. People that sacrifice way less than you, people that deserve way less than you, people that didn't have the kind of commitment that, that you have, I'm going to bless their socks off too. Like, they're going to get... They're going to get the same as you. Why in the world would Jesus say that? What is he trying to do to his 12 disciples? Well, Jesus is trying to get them to grasp one of the most fundamental foundational points that we can know in our Christian faith. And I just want to tell you, if you just tuned out for a second, you were on your phone or whatever, you kind of had a moment where you napped for a second, just tune right back in because you do not want to miss this point. Here's what Jesus wanted his disciples and wants us to grasp. The more religious you become, the more entitled you feel. I'm going to say that again. You need to hear this, okay? This is for the early workers in the field, ones who sacrificed, the ones who are very committed, worked hard for God. The more religious you become, the more entitled you feel. Now, some of you are going, wait, 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 hold up, hold up. Aren't we in church right now? I mean, this is a school, but we are in church, right? Okay. Isn't like being religious a good thing? Is anybody going, what, 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 am I like, is this Twilight Zone here? What's happening? Isn't religious a good thing? Isn't religion something that's good, right? Churches are supposed to uphold this whole religion thing. Well, not when you define it the way that I'm going to define it for you. You define religion this way, it's actually not a good thing. Because the way that um, I would define religion is mankind working its way to God. That's religion. Mankind working its way to God. If you had to have a visual picture, this would be your visual for religion. Mankind working his way to God. And so, what Jesus is saying is, the more religious you become. So, okay, I, uh, I go to church every Sunday. And... I, I pray, and I read my Bible. And you know what else? Um, I give. I give to the church. I give to the poor. 
And I serve people, man. I even helped a little old lady across the street the other day. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Okay? And so here we are. The more religious we become, the more entitled we feel. We're up here on our ladder. Now, there's two major problems that you encounter when you're up on a ladder like this. There's a problem in your relationship with God, and there's a problem in your relationship with others. So, when you've been doing all this stuff for God, all this religious stuff, here's what happens. The mindset is, God, look at all I've been doing for you. I've been working so hard. I've been out in the field early, slaving away. God, I deserve this. God, where are you? God, how come this hasn't happened for me yet? God, look at all that I've been doing for you. And so what happens is that your entitlement can lead you to a God you owe me. You owe me, God. Now, this isn't necessarily conscious, you guys. You won't necessarily be saying this out loud or thinking this in your conscious brain, but subconsciously, subconsciously, if you're going to be honest, there's a little bit of this in us when we're up on our ladder. Come on, God, please, seriously. Have you noticed what I've been doing? So we have a major problem in our relationship with God. The other problem that we have is our relationship with others. You notice in, uh, in verse 12, we can put that verse back up on the screen. I can see it really good right here. Um, <laughs> put verse 12 back up on the screen. So, um, so these, these workers, the earliest in the field, the ones at the top of the ladder, look at what they said. These who were hired last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us. You see that? You have made them equal to us. There is a sense of, God, come on now. I mean, you know that they don't deserve that. I deserve it. So we actually get to a place where the first thing is that God owes us, and the second thing is we're actually better than other people. We are. We're more deserving. We're better than other people. So Jesus says that the more religious you become, the more entitled you feel. Jesus finishes the parable. So they've just been objecting to this unfair wage policy, okay? Jesus never would have been Secretary of Labor in this country based on this policy right here. Um, But Jesus answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. And here's the zinger question. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And then here's the even bigger question. Or are you envious because I'm generous? Or are you envious because I'm generous? And then he says, so the last will be first. And the first will be last. So, Jesus, who knows what his disciples are thinking. Basically, his point here, and this, you, got, you got to hear this. This is really important. Jesus is like, guys, 
I know that you are so focused on fairness and justice. You want to make sure that if someone's been working harder, they get rewarded more. You're so focused on justice. But here's, here's the thing that Jesus knows. God is by very definition, by nature, God is just. God cannot do anything but be just. Now, we don't always understand God's justice in our human understanding. We were limited, finite beings. But Jesus is like, man, forget, of course the justice is going to happen. You might not get it, but of course that's going to be there. But what Jesus is after here is that this parable is not about God's justice. Okay, listen, listen, listen. This parable is about God's generosity. It's not about God's justice. It's about God's generosity. So these workers in the field, so 2,000 years ago, here's, here's the deal. These, these were day laborers. They would not have any sort of steady stable employment, okay? This was the very bottom working poor. They wouldn't know on a day-to-day basis if they were going to make any money, if they were going to eat that day, if they were going to be able to take care of their families. They did not have any savings, okay? We're talking the bottom rung of the labor pool here. And every day they just depended on farmers and landowners and folks to, to see if maybe they could be employed for a little while. And so here's the deal. Here you have this landowner deciding, guess what? Here is someone who wants to work, couldn't find any work. I'm going to take them in. No, they didn't even work a full day's wage, but guess what? I'm going to make sure they get to eat tonight. I'm going to make sure they get to take care of their family. I'm going to provide for them. Don't I have the right to be generous? Now, here's the deal. When you're up here, when you've been in the field all day, when you've climbed your religious ladder, you can't handle this sort of generosity. You can't. You know why? Because you see, I'm up here. And they're down here. And they don't deserve it. I, I deserve it. But they don't deserve it. Now, if we're going to be really honest with ourselves. We all, at times in our lives, find ourselves on this ladder. Really, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, this thing, it is just, it, it sucks you in, and it is, it is amazing how it happens. It happens to me all the time, you guys. All the time. And here's the deal. This ladder is a lose-lose proposition for us. What happens is, with very good intentions, we just, you know, we love God, and, and you know, we start doing these religious things. There's nothing wrong with doing religious things. But when we start doing them, what, here's, what we can, here's what can happen to us. Uh, first of all, when we are in a season where we're not doing the things that we want to be doing, we, we know inherently we should be doing, but we're struggling, we're not motivated, we're not doing those things, it leaves us at the very bottom of this ladder, feeling defeated. We are defeated. 
We are ashamed because the basic things of faith that we feel like we should be doing, we're not doing. We're struggling with all kinds of stuff. And here's where it leaves us. It leaves us defeated at the bottom of the ladder where we actually get into a place, and you can probably relate, where you're so defeated, you're so ashamed, you can't even pray. He's like, God, there's no way God would hear my prayer right now. You're ashamed even to to go to church, and you don't even know where to get started because you're so defeated. But then you have a a season, you know, New Year's comes along, or you you have a friend that kind of gets you kick-started again, and you you start climbing this ladder. You start getting back into good habits, and you start doing all this stuff, praying, reading your Bible, giving, serving, and you're back up here on the ladder again. You're in a good season. You're not defeated, but if you're not careful... You're conceited. You're up here just thinking, man, I feel good. Don't you feel good when everything's rolling? Right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Don't you feel, doesn't it feel good? You're like, I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm doing, you know, I'm giving. I'm doing all my stuff. Doesn't it feel good? It does, right? And it's very easy for us in that time of just feeling good and worshiping God and, and, and all that to, to all of a sudden feel a little bit entitled God, you really, I know you're listening now. And God, you know, I, you know there, there's, some, there's a lot of people down there that I know, you know, are struggling right now and they aren't doing what I'm doing. So if anyone's kind of worthy of a favor, of a blessing, I know it's me. And so the problem with this ladder is it's, it's always a lose-lose. You're either defeated or you're conceited. So what does Jesus say about all this? Well, here is the great news. Jesus basically has two words for all of us ladder climbers. Get down. And I'm not talking about dancing, okay? Although that might come as a result. But Jesus is saying, get down. Get down from the ladder. In fact, the truth is, there is no ladder, you guys. This is something that we human beings have invented to make ourselves feel better in this life, that we think somehow this entitles us to more. The truth is that there is no ladder high enough to climb our way to heaven, to work our way to the same level as a perfect, holy, almighty God. It just cannot happen. There's only two levels there's perfection and holiness, and there's imperfection in humanity. That's it. And there's nothing we can do, no number of little old ladies we can help across the street to be able to be on equal footing, equal level with God. And so the good news is that there's actually no ladder. This Jesus, Jesus, his whole message, his gospel, his good news is that there's nothing we can do. There's no way we can climb up to God but it's actually about God climbing down to us. This is the good news. It's symbolized by a cross. And what this cross represents is God coming to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ. This may be hard for you to wrap your mind around, but just keep an open mind. Okay, Coming to this earth, living a perfect, sinless life, and then basically saying, look, I am going to take on all the sins, all the evil, all the mistakes of the world, anything bad that's ever happened, Jesus says, I'm going to take that on myself as a loving 
sacrifice, as a payment for all that stuff. So that not by us climbing a ladder, but by Jesus dying on a cross, we would actually be made righteous in the eyes of God. So it's not about what we have done for God. It's about what God has done for us. And we're going to celebrate communion today. And communion is actually the celebration of this very thing, which is incredible news. So if you're on the communion team, go ahead and uh, go and take the elements and please take your positions across the auditorium. Music team is going to come up and uh, they're going to play a song for us while communion happens. Now, don't lose me in this because you might be thinking, okay, the ladder thing, I kind of get that, all right? But don't miss this point because here is why the cross is such good news. And if you've ever thought, oh yeah, I've heard about the cross, I've heard about the cross, it's not really relevant to my life or whatever. Here's why it's extraordinarily relevant, okay? So stay with me right now, okay? Here's the deal. We've already talked about the ladder. We know what's, what the deal is with the ladder, when you're up on the religious ladder, you feel entitled. God owes you. You're setting yourself up for disappointment. You're better than other people. It's very hard to love people and be happy for their success. However, when you are at the cross, my friends, when you are at the cross, instead of being like, okay, I'm up on my ladder and God owes me, it's like, no, no, God came down and did something amazing for me. So guess what? God doesn't owe me. I owe God. It's about me responding to his love. I may not always understand God's ways or God's timing or God's sense of justice, but this is about me responding to what God has done. We're going to start communion in just one second. So everybody just hold tight if you could. That'd be fantastic. So at this position, we don't set ourselves up in a position of where we're constantly being let down by God because God has already done something amazing for us. But here's the other thing that's so cool, you guys, and this is extraordinarily relevant to your life, to your day-to-day -day life and your relationships with other people. When you realize that you're not up on a ladder, but everyone is knelt at the foot of a cross, we're not better than other people. We're all people. We're all struggling to figure life out. We're all trying to work it out. We're, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And here's why that's awesome. Here's my, why that may, might make you want to get down, all right? Because here's the deal, you guys. When you realize we're all on the same level, we're all equal, this, this frees you to be able to love people. Are you tracking with me? When you're way up here, something good happens to somebody down here, guess what? That's not fair. You can't celebrate their success, not really, not if you're going to be honest. But if everyone's equal right here, you can. You can genuinely rejoice for them. If you're up here and somebody's down there, you can't forgive that person. They don't deserve your forgiveness. But guess what? If you're all equal, all at the foot of the cross, you can offer that forgiveness because they're just as deserving of your forgiveness as you would be for, for theirs at least in this equation. So what we're going to do is I'm going to ask the team to go ahead and start distributing the communion elements. And I'm going to ask everyone just hold the, uh, the bread and the cup, and we're going to take and we're going to eat together. 
So Jesus actually um, shared a meal with his disciples just before he died. And um, he gave them instructions on the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup. He told his disciples and his words speak to us today. That um, He said, this is my body. This bread represents my body. It's broken for you. Died on this cross. So that you could be made righteous in the eyes of God. When you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread and eat together. Thank you, God. Jesus also took the cup when he said, this cup represents my blood, which is shed for you, the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink together. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we just want to say um, that we're sorry for the times when we struggle with resentment and bitterness. God, even if it's just subconscious. For those times that we, um, we just struggle with that ladder, wanting to prove ourselves, uh, wanting to, to do right, but then sometimes it consumes us and either leaves us defeated or it leaves us conceited and feeling entitled. And God, we're sorry for those times, that attitude of you owe me, or that attitude of I'm better than. Uh, Lord, help us as we struggle through that. Uh, Lord, thank you that there actually is no ladder. There is just a cross. There is no climbing up. There is only coming down. There is no you owing us. There is only us owing you. There is no different levels between us and other people. There is just one level at the foot of the cross. Lord, bring us from the ladder to the cross where we can fully love you and we can fully love others. Set us free with that truth of your good news, your gospel. Let it humble us and just send us out, God, to love this world, to love you and to love others. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.